All right, good morning. My name is Marshall Gallagher. For those of you who don't know me, and I'm a pastor here, and we are uh, in the middle. I say in the middle. We're still kind of in the beginning, but I'll just say in the middle of going through 1 Corinthians, uh, the whole book. And if you want to turn to 1 Corinthians, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one close by in the seat in front of you. Um, We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. I'm going to read the passage out, and then we will get going. Uh, let me pray for our time first, um, and y'all feel free to keep flipping pages. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts to your word this morning, that you would help us hear it, uh, not just to hear it, but believe it and do it, Lord. Um, there are so many distractions outside this room, but Lord, I pray now that you would help silence all those distractions in our lives, in our head, that we could uh, commune with your word in a special way this morning. I pray in Jesus Christ, our Savior's name, amen. All right, let me read the passage and then we will dive right in. Hear the word of the Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. This is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, is it, a very, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. I've applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us you have become kings. And would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. For I think God has exhibited us apostles as last of all like men sentenced to death because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor working with our hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and still are like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. 
That is why I sent you, Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not, ex- does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love in a spirit of gentleness? This is the word of the Lord. Did I do it right, guys? Yeah? Okay. You guys laugh, but there's a lot of pre- more pressure on that part than anything else. Um, all right. So I, I, keep, I said buckle up like three weeks ago. This is the buckle up portion. Hopefully you guys heard this. Um, but I want to start off thinking about judgment this morning. Judgment really matters. My dad uh, was a fighter pilot in the Navy, and that means he would take off and land on aircraft carriers. Uh, And so I I don't know, well, I maybe know why this sticks with me, um, but he told one story. It's a very, very short kind of story. Um, And I even kind of did some fact-checking because I've just remembered this. It's almost like a legend in my head. Um, And... It's true, and it's a lot worse, it turns out. But uh, if you know anything about aircraft carriers or fighter jets, there's only about a football field worth of length for these jets to take off, right? And that's not enough space. So you need ways to propel off and then ways to land. Um, And so on every aircraft carrier, there's huge cables. Um, There are four of them that kind of line from the very front uh, or the very back of the ship and move forward. Uh, And then on these fighter jets, there are these things called tail hooks that hang off the back kind of like a tail, and it's just a big hook. And so for these planes to land and be able to stop, they have to hook onto one of those cables and come to a grinding halt. I mean, this is a fighter jet going over 100 miles an hour and stopping in about two seconds. So naturally, your judgment, your perception, your evaluation of where things are is extremely important in that moment. And you never try to catch the first cable. You actually will not be a pilot if you get good at catching the first cable. You go for the third one because the first one's too close. It's too close to the back of the ship. So naturally, I asked my dad, what happens if you... What happens if you get too close? It's a fighter jet going over 100 miles an hour, hitting the back of an aircraft carrier. There's not much question as to what happens after that. And so naturally I said, well, have you ever seen anyone not make it, come in too low? Uh, And then checking back with him, I sort of wish I didn't text him and ask him about this last night, but he said, Uh, yeah, he knew a guy and saw a guy. And then he even added that he saw a few guys spin off the edge and never come back. Judgment really, really matters. One degree in a fighter jet is your life. And so Paul is getting at this idea. He has been from the beginning of the book that their judgment and perception of things is extremely important. It's not as quick 
as the aircraft carrier example, but it's life or death. And he's trying to get them to see, and you remember last week we talked about uh, Paul trying to get them to see their identity, who they were already in Jesus. If they could just get their perceptions right, if they could judge things accordingly to who they are according to God, then it would fix all the issues that are about to come and the very specific ones that will follow in kind of chapters 5 moving on through the rest of the book, if they could see God's perception of things, it would start unraveling all of this angst, all of this trouble that's going on in the church. And Paul talks about it in 4. Uh, starting in verse 1, he's, he says, This is how you should regard us as servants and stewards, not, as we've talked about, as these great leaders you can gain status and, and accumulate kind of social capital and wealth from. And then he's, he's kind of referring to an obvious problem that's going on, talking about these opponents and being judged. And he's telling them, you, you're focusing on the human courts, the Roman kind of cultural Greek philosophical court of government. You're, you're letting culture dictate your perspective and judgment over the world, not God. And he says, it, it, who, who even cares what this human court says? It's God who judges me. That is the important point. And so for those of you who are the, I need to hear the main point at the very beginning, you've been a little anxious up until now, but here it is. You can take a deep breath. The main point I want us to see from this, and I think Paul is getting to and want to expose it by way of kind of comparing and contrasting that we could walk away with today is that we should all long, we should all long for God's judgment. That's probably like the most fundamentalist sounding thing I've ever said, but I mean it. And right away you can tell it's, it's, you know, no one's been struck down right here. Paul does mention a rod at the end, but it's more about perception, God's judgment, what he figures out, what is right, wrong, up, down, how he judges and perceives the world. We should long for that judgment. That's what I want to try and prove to you this morning. And so first, we're going to look at kind of the world's view of things, the world's perception, the world's judgment about things. And you can see it pop up here all over. We're going to talk about how we see ourselves and those around us, how we see our Christian life, and then how we see our leaders. And then I'm going to compare that to how God sees those things. And hopefully by the end, you'll be convinced. But so starting with kind of where our world is, and especially their world is, we've talked a ton about what they were after, what they were looking for, and you can kind of read the reverse of what Paul is saying to get at what they really prized. They were taking the world's perspective and view of everything. He says that you will be puffed up thinking that you're better than the other person. He says already you have all you want. Another translation was you've been glutted. You're bloated with stuff you've accumulated. You're a king. They wanted to be wise. They wanted to be strong. They wanted to be held in honor. They didn't want to be poorly dressed. They wanted to be dressed and exalted and, and proud. 
And we talked about all the things of, of God's wisdom that they've been perceiving. And that's why they would say, well, I follow Paul, Paul, I follow Apollos to gain honor and respect in society. And then he tells them not to be quick to judge. Don't take judgments over things until the Lord finally comes. I mean, if there is any peace in here that connects to our culture today, like we love being quick to judge, right? Like, have you heard of the internet? Because that seems to be fueling the entire system, right? Any news media cycle, it's about once a week. I was joking, like, I'll just hop on Twitter right before I go up and see who has taken too quick of a judgment. On, pronounced it on someone. And not just little things. I mean, huge, life-ruining situations. Um, but then, two, we kind of do this in the church, Right? I remember uh, when I first got to Redeemer Church, where we were members before here, uh, I'd like met someone, said we lived in East Nashville. And like, I know that I don't have baggy jeans, but like, they were like, well, your jeans are super skinny. He's from East Nashville. And so like the following Monday, I'm talking with the worship leader, who's like a literal like head guy from a band. Um, and he said someone came up to him and was like, someone was like, oh no, Dan, I, I'll be so sad to see you leave because this guy from East Nashville is coming in to lead worship here. <laughs> and like, if y'all know me, you should have laughed a lot more because I'm not like the hip East Nashville worship leader. But someone just saw, someone heard new guy that like the pastor knows that's from East Nashville. Oh, oh no, Dan's gonna leave. What are we gonna do? And they were fretting. And I mean, it's a silly example, but like we, we do that all over the place. And, and again, it kind of exposes what we are really looking after. And then Paul tries to kind of correct them. He says, don't go beyond what is written. And what he means there is, so what is written would have to be scripture, right? He's talking about scripture. The New Testament isn't there yet. So he's talking about Old Testament at least. Um, he's probably referring to the things he wants them to realize about God's wisdom, his judgment and perception of everything. And so a couple examples, there have been a, a handful of Old Testament things that he has literally already written to them. God's saying, I, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. Or for who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? The Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. And so all along, he's saying, don't go beyond God's perception. That will shift and move everything. It will change your true north. And it'll cause you to get puffed up. It'll think you're better than other people. And so this leaked into how they saw their Christian life. And the whole section, I tried to kind of say it. There's no way to communicate the sarcasm that Paul is using in verse 8. But just look through that. Let me try to read it as sarcastically as possible so you can get Paul's kind of bent on there. So he says, already you have all you want. Already you've become rich. Without us, you've become kings and would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. Was that okay? All right. But, that, but seriously, that is what he's doing. He's using sarcasm as a way to expose how ridiculous their mindset was. And so what they had did, they had fallen into what was called this, a kind of a stoic philosophy of life, that they, they have reached this metaphysical 
enlightenment type thing and they were just walking around lording it over people thinking they were so much better than all the people around because they had come to know Jesus and they were kings and and it has nothing to do with how Jesus was when he was on earth it's the opposite of the apostles their whole view and perception and judgment was totally off and so this leaked into who they gathered around because if that's what you believe and your perception of reality is off and you're pursuing those things you're not going to go volitionally get a Paul you're going to find teachers who tell you what you want to hear that's that's what he was saying these you have plenty of guides plenty of gurus and kind of obligatory people guiding you down the path so you don't have a father You don't have someone who is there to sacrifice for your growth and spirit and to admonish you and to bring you along. Someone who would lay down his life for you. You have all these guides and these teachers, but they've surrounded themselves with bad leaders because their view, it all started with their perspective that they were living out a worldly perspective. He says he sent Timothy to remind them. And later, Paul would remind Timothy of the things that he experienced. He he said this in 2 Timothy. He says, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents. I'll pay for that later. Disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good. It goes on and on. And then later he says, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears, and they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into into myths. That's, we, were, we are looking at a live situation of that happening right now. And so what started is just taking the world's kind of benefit of the doubt and pursuing that judgment perspective of the world. And now they've accumulated leaders around themselves so that they're confirmed in their incorrect judgment. And it was leading them away from Christ. And they were doing this proudly And the most ridiculous part is that they weren't any better for it. Things were awful. They were fighting with one another. I mean, it would be one thing if if they had a lot of riches and they were doing great and they were all just partying and having fun. They were not. This was an awful situation. Even probably sitting in church on Sunday, you're looking around, either staring daggers into people or receiving daggers stared into you. This was not a healthy atmosphere. And so Paul basically asked this question to, I mean, to, I think, shake them up. He says in verse 7 What do you have that you did not receive? See, they're trying to gain all these things. They're trying to pursue all this stuff. And he wants to take them back to the very beginning. What do you have that you didn't receive? And it's a rhetorical question because the answer is nothing. And then basically says, so why are you acting like an existential brat? 
And he probably uses worse words than that. So why are you acting like you did this all for yourself? Because that's what you're pursuing. And so the most helpful thing, I think, for us and what Paul is trying to get out for them, and I say this in love, our perspective does not matter. My perspective on the world, sure, there are little things I make decisions, but overall, my perspective on the world doesn't matter. Your perspective on the world does not matter. If God is a God worth worshiping, his perspective is the only thing that matters. And okay, I don't believe in a God. Well, you better get to it. You're wasting time sitting in here this morning because all you have is gaining more and more power and control and sitting in church to do that is a waste of time. So if you really believe there's nothing else, it's just you and what you can accumulate, don't go to church. That's the last thing you would wanna do. But if you do believe that there is a God, then it's his opinion that matters. It's his judgment over everything else that matters. And that is good news. It's probably the best news that you could possibly hear this morning is that your judgment of everything does not ultimately matter. Let's look at what God's judgment of everything is. He created all humanity in this world in his image, his likeness, His heart was put into it. We walked away from this king that had laws and rules and things that the kingdom would flourish by. We said, we don't want to do that. We're going to rebel. And we became enemies. Okay, you're the source of life. I don't want anything to do with you. We walked away from the source of life. I I want to give my allegiance. I, I don't trust you, God. I'm going to go trust these things. What's fair, in my judgment, would be, okay, you walk away from the source of life, guess what? No more life. If you're a fish, you jump out of water, that's only fair that you end up dying. Right? I don't know how much blame we put on the fish, but you guys get the metaphor. Okay, that's fair. That's not God's judgment of the world. You know what his judgment is? Yeah, you are sinners. Yes, you are enemies. But I'm going to come after you and make a way that I will restore you. Here here are these laws. Here are my kingdom. You're not going to be able to follow them. I'm going to have to come down and do it myself and show you and make a way that you would be redeemed and reconciled back to me, not because of what you can do or perform, but because of who I am. And so God's judgment of us has nothing to do with what we do or say, but it's what we think of his son, Jesus. That's where he judges us from. That is the greatest news you could possibly receive that his judgment over all of what we do and who we are and how we perform has nothing to do with us. It's all based in Jesus. And so if we know that, if we actually believe that, it should do hundreds, millions of things in our life. But here in the text, I think we see it do a few things. And so if you wanna kind of glance back over that list, In 8 through 
13. What what if your life looked like this? Fools for Christ's sake, weak, held in disrepute, hungry and thirsty, poorly dressed, homeless, laboring with your hands, reviled, persecuted, slandered. What if your life looked like that and it didn't matter one bit? What, what if the next time someone was just ugly to you and it, it upset you and it made you mad that you, you were okay to love them back? Because you're not banking everything on their judgment of you. You're, you're banking everything on God's judgment of you. And his judgment of you, for those of us who have put our faith in Christ, is you're, you're perfect and righteous and holy and beautiful. That I just see, God sees Jesus in you when he looks at you. Not anything on, in this world that could claim something or could judge something about you. Or what if you never ever felt insecure ever again? What if, what if you never felt kind of your blood boiling up because you felt something was being taken away from you because you had all things in Christ? Isn't that what we want? What else would we want in this life right now? But God's judgment over us, his perspective applied to our hearts. And so you see the Corinthians, they're becoming puffed up because they've gone way outside the bounds of what God has judged about them to be true. They're thinking they're better than other people. If we believe God's judgment for ourselves, knowing that we don't deserve all the amazing things God gives us, we ought to be known as the most humble people on earth. How can you just, how could you look down? And I'm saying this to myself because I do this all the time. How could I look down on someone and say, well, you don't deserve my fill in the blank, love, time, commitment, respect. When I've been given all that and more by God when I certainly didn't deserve it. How could I think I was better than someone else? Knowing God's judgment on our life allows us to walk through life with an open hand. There's nothing that can be taken away from us because we have received all things. That is so much freedom. That's why there's this little book up here. Feel free to take one. And it's called The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. It's by Tim Keller. If you're not a reader, this is the book for you because it's like 30 pages and the pages are small. That was the best. That was the best amen I'll get today. Um, but he wrote that because it, it, there is freedom in this self-forgetfulness, that it's not about you. It's not your judgment that matters. And that dives into this chapter even more. But so, so translating, kind of comparing the world's perspective and judgment over how their life works as Christians and then applying God's judgment to how ours work Matthew 5 kind of sums this whole thing up of of the saved life until eternity. So they thought they had kind of claimed eternity. They were kings already. That is not the Christian view of what we say sanctification. It's kind of that in-between time and then into glory, what we're looking forward to. But So listen to what Jesus says about those who are experiencing things now says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. He goes on and on, and he says, Rejoice and be glad. Now, presently, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. Your reward is great in heaven. Not now. You shouldn't be kings now. We're we're looking forward to something. It doesn't mean it's all misery now, but it could be, and you're not having anything taken away from you. Because if you're in Christ, your reality in heaven is as strong as it is right now as it will be in heaven. That's God's judgment of our Christian life and what we look forward to in eternity. Why would we not want God's judgment on that? And then continuing on kind of in the theme um, that we looked at before with the world's judgment, that should press us into leaders who will teach that, who will not go beyond what is written in the totality of Scripture, who will constantly call you back. And I mean, this is kind of weird because I'm that role. And it feels weird to kind of talk about myself, but if there is something that I start not looking like a servant, not looking like a steward, that I am not found faithful. There's nothing more loving that you could do is remove me from this pulpit and put me down in a chair and have me sit and learn what scripture teaches. Hopefully it would be with a spirit of gentleness and not a rod, but given my track record, I'll probably need a rod. But that should be what is pursued surround yourself with leaders and this is not just elders or preachers but all sorts of leaders in your life that they would be found faithful that they would treat you all more as a father rather than this obligatory guy who just has to do it for the money he's receiving that they would lay down their lives for you that is who is going to guide you closer to Jesus And when you all do that, when people demand that leaders guide them closer to Jesus, it provides an incredible witness to the surrounding world, especially in America, where we are allergic to authority. I just say authority five times and the the room would just get tenser and tenser and tenser. But when we find godly authority that works well, that we know that they are giving their hearts for us. They know that they are servants of God and that their ultimate judgment is God, not from pleasing the people, but they're accountable to God first and foremost. When you find those leaders and you are willing to trust and walk through them, that's weird, it's different. And people see it and they say, you listen to a couple people and trust them, that's not very natural. That's God's intention for the church and it's intended to bring people in. Just like Jesus is a good shepherd that we ought to trust and so the leaders of the church ought to reflect Jesus. And so maybe you're not convinced still. Maybe you're just thinking, well, this is all Bible talk and what do you really get out of it? And this sounds great because you're the preacher and you're the pastor. And this is talking about 
leaders in the church, and of course you would slant it. How do I not know you're tricking me? Well, if you're not convinced, let me just read you what is offered in eternity. Because if, if you don't think you need anything now, there's nothing I can say from up here that'll change that. That's God working on your heart. But I don't know that I can find a better picture of what will be than this right here. After God's judgment comes through the world. Revelation 21, it says, then I saw... This is the, the writer having a vision that Jesus himself has put in to him and given him this picture of heaven. He says, then I saw a new heaven, a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne, the judge, said, Behold, I am making all things new. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light or lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Do you long for that? Like, is that something that you long for? You want it. You feel that all creation is groaning and broken and things are not perfect. Is, is this something worth longing for? Because this is God's plan. This is God's judgment of the world is to produce a place with no pain, no crying, no mourning, no loss, joy and peace all the time glad serving of God who is with us. Nothing separating us any longer. If you're a Christian, do you long for that? And if you're apathetic about this, the, the hard question you need to ask is, do you know God? And don't be afraid to ask that. It, it wouldn't be loving for me to just comfort you and tell you, well, if you don't care what heaven looks like, then, then that's okay. This is what Christians ought to long for. Everything is in this. I heard one of my uh, friends who's a pastor said one time, you know that phrase, don't be so heavenly minded that you're not any earthly good. He says, I've never met that person. 
be heavenly minded. We should long for that. And non-Christian, if you're not a Christian, if you don't believe this Jesus stuff, all that, I, I get it. It's not like it's this easy thing. I think Christians think that it was just like, huh, yeah, that makes sense. All right, I'm a Christian. That, I even get into that thing where that idea that I, oh yeah, no, it's simple. If you're not a Christian, what more do you want than this right here? Like, what are you longing for? Is this your best life? If this is it, I just, I don't know what to do with that. If this is as good as it gets, that's awful. This is what's offered in Christ. That you can long for perfection and heaven in the end. And we know that, we can have confidence and assurance in it because when God was put up against a wall, we saw Christ become like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things, so that he could draw us in. That, that's our God for us. That's the judgment of God, Christ becoming the scum of the world. While we were enemies, him loving us and bringing us in. And so, the judgment of God is all you ought to be concerned about. And it's something you ought to long for in your heart. Everything else will fall into place after that. Amen? Let me pray. Lord, thank you for your word that shows us your heart, that shows us your son, that we know that how you approach and deal with the world ends in wonder and glory and peace and love. Everything we're longing for, God, is found in heaven. And it starts with seeing things the way that you want us to see. So I pray that you would give us eyes to see. Help us be obedient to following you so that we can welcome more in to see the beautiful mystery of Christ and help us surround ourselves with good leaders and teachers that will care more for our souls than our current worldly pleasure. God, help unite us to your judgment. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.